ladies and gentlemen. We indeed proud to present that lovely and distinguished actress, Claudette Colbert, who tonight is making her 24th appearance on the radio theater. We have chosen Emlyn Williams' deeply moving play, The Coin is Green, for this illustrious occasion. And as Miss Colbert's co-star, we present that fine young actor, Cameron Mitchell, making his first appearance on our stage. Now, act one. The Coin is Green, starring Claudette Colbert as Miss Moffat and Cameron Mitchell as Martin Evans. The world's countryside, some 50 years ago, an obscure village called Glensarno. There's an old house in Glensarno, long empty, and on this spring afternoon, the new owner has just arrived. Her name is Miss Moffat, and she's come filled with hopes and determination to open up a school. Waiting for her are two of the villagers. The girl, Mr. Jones, Mr. Harry Simmons, Miss Sunday. So I trust you will find everything in order, Miss Moffat. I will go now. Yes, please wait, Mr. Jones. You too, Miss Sunday. Oh, I do thank you both. You've arranged my things splendidly. But I want very specially to talk to you. Yes. Uh, excuse me, Miss Moffat. Are you saved? I beg your pardon. Are you stuck? Or suffer? <laughs> I really don't know. Now then, tell Mrs. Walker's letter. Mrs. Walker? My housekeeper. She and her daughter are coming from the station with my baggage. Tell me, what's that large, empty building next door? It is the old barn belonging to the Gwalior farm before the farm was burned down. Then it's all right. Well, for sale. Aye, I would think so. But what has that to do with the new Miss Wander? I'll tell you. You have mutual friends in London, Miss Montgomery. They told me that you live alone, that you have just enough money, you're educated, and time hangs heavy on your hands. Oh, how horrid of them. But isn't it so? Not at all. Where did I send it in a field? Miss Montgomery, if you think you're well on in her thinking, that right gentleman is not coming. He's lost his way. So why don't you face the fact and enjoy yourself as I do? But a woman's only teacher is to marry, and, and, haven't you ever been in love? Yes. I've been in I've never talked to a man for more than five minutes, but I've run into box for years. But who's it to you, Mr. Jones? <laughs> my, my conscience is as clear as the snow. Oh, I'm sure it is. The window tells me all about you, too. You're a disappointed man, aren't you? How can I be disappointed? When I'm saved? Oh, but you can. You're frustrated, Mr. Jones, so you fall back on being saved. Am I right? That's a terrible thing you have said. But I will have to think it over. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you can stop loafing and be very useful to me. Now, how many families are there around here? Thirty families in the village and fifteen in the farm for long. Many children. Oh, children. Here they are children only until they are twelve. Then they go to work in the coal mine and in one week they are old men. How many of them can read and write? Next to none. Why do you write? Because I'm going to start a school for them. A school for them? But what for? What for? Do you see these books this one day? Hundreds of them and something wonderful to read in every single one. When I heard this part of the world was a disgrace to a Christian country, I knew this house was a godsend. I'm going to start a school in that barn next door, and you are going to help me. Oh, how, how could you keep so slow I couldn't? The snow. If we'd never been taught to walk, so would we. As for you, Mr. I am a solicitor, Chuck. I am 32 shillings a week. I'll give you 34 in your lunch. My uncle left me a little money, as well as his house, 
and I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. But those children in the mine earn money. How can they afford? Oh, I'll pay their parents the miserable pennies they get out of it. And when I finish with you, Mr. Andre, you won't have time to think about snapping up a husband. And you, Mr. Jones, won't have time to be so pleased that you're saved. Well? Uh, I do not care if you are not happy. I am with you. Good. Now sit down. I'll tell you exactly what I have in mind. Clothing and sheets. 
Fox here, and I'd like to do a flashy commercial on boarding. Music, please. Don't forget to fill out your federal postcard application directly. Oh, 
The promises that we could have, the background of the university is absolutely essential. Hang it all, he'll never get it. Oh, but you must have the time. Bill, the mere prospect of one of my minors. For the sake, yes, Squire, the Earl. All serene, dear lady, all serene. I'll drop the line to those Oxford chaps next week. Robin, what? What? <laughs> I must be off. Oh, I should be most obliged if you wrote the letter tomorrow. Wouldn't you like me to draft a recommendation? You must. Oh, please, right. I am. I'll poke a supper tomorrow night, you know. Oh, yes. Do that. <laughs> Goodbye, dear lady. Oh, thank you so very much, Squire. Happier conditions and all that. Glad you come to your senses. Come <laughs> <laughs> uh, on now. Oh, oh, oh. Love. That man is so stupid, it slipped on his head like a halo. What happened? What happened? In five minutes, I have given the squire the impression that he spent his whole time fostering genius and illiterate. I'm entering our pitcone for a scholarship round. Oxford. I have not cried since I was younger than you are, and I'll never forgive you for that. 
I'm going for a walk. I don't like this sort of conversation. If you want to go on, do it till tomorrow. It's not so. I don't want your money, and I don't want your time, and I don't want to be responsible to no strange woman for nothing. I don't understand. I don't understand. Very well, Bessie. I can give you exactly one minute of my time. Why? 
Morgan Evans is sitting for his Oxford examination this morning. Well, he needn't. He won't ever be going to Oxford. And why not? Because they're going to be a little stranger. I'm going to have a little stranger. You're lying. And if you don't believe it's Morgan Evans, you just ask it. Often about that time you locked me up. Then I shared words with him. Oh, all women are doubted if he has no human feelings. You just asked him. Oh, what can I see for? Does he know? I've come to tell him. And he'll have to marry me, of course, or I'll show him up. After all, the little stranger. Stop saying little stranger. If you're going to have a baby, then call it a baby. Have you told anybody? Mr. Jones is all. Why is coming up the road with Morgan? I went for him here. You listen to me. For the next three hours, Morgan Evans is not going to be disturbed. You're not going to see him. You can't believe me the way I am. Hasn't sunk in yet, has it? I'm teaching you something, am I? You are going into the kitchen, Bessie, to see your mother. You will then go upstairs, and as soon as the examination is finished, we will talk it all over when we're a little more calm. Dear, I got to see it. You tried to disobey me. If you mentioned this to anybody before we've had that talk, even your mother. I shall strike you so hard that I shall probably sin. I mean every word of it. I don't mind. Three hours will go soon enough. Nobody home. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. How kind of you. It's such a dreadful day. Not at all, Mrs. Pettigrew. Anything for a while. Sit down, Morgan. The questions are in this envelope. Now, before I break the seal, I have a feeling they may bring up Henry VIII. I've written down a couple of dates. Here, memorize them. Yes, Miss Morgan. Glad it isn't me. Really quite stupid, you know. <laughs> now, Morgan, just don't get it stupid. No. You're illegible. No. But aren't you going to wish my protege good fortune? Good luck. Thank you. Ready? Ready. This is your examination. Go to work. Miss Moffat. Yes? The very first question. Henry the Eighth. <laughs> we'll be hearing Act Three of The Coin is Green in a moment. You know, I read a story some time ago that made me realize that there can be heroes of peace as well as heroes of war. It was about a husky MC in Tokyo, name of Earl S. Whitney, Jr. He'd been supporting two war orphans, a Chinese and a Japanese, for three years on a private pay. He took little Fantung, age 13, under his wing first when the Chinese lad began hanging around the Tokyo base. Whitney rented a place for Fantung and took over the duties of a father. Then Hirayama Kyokichi, age 15, came along, and Whitney spread the other wing for him. For three years, he fed, educated, maintained, and clothed the pair. And then he took on a night job in a service club to earn some extra change. <laughs> he needed it. His army pay was $111.90 a month, and he spent about $100 a month on his two kids. He called the boys Mickey and Jimmy Whitney and hoped that someday they'd all wind up at his home back in Southern California. But in the meantime, even though he was only a private in the army, 
He was a real hero to those two war orphans. And it all goes to prove that such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of tomorrow. It's midsummer now. Seven months since Morgan Evans took the examination for Oxford. Seven months since Bessie Watty suddenly returned and just as suddenly disappeared again without seeing Morgan. All week, Morgan's been far from the village, in Oxford, waiting word of his success or failure. How can you be so calm, Mr. Jones? Didn't you know the whole village is down at the railway to meet him? That's true. Oh, if he hasn't wanted to break her heart. You would feel it so keen as all that? I think not to think so. But since his examination day, they have been so much better friends. It has been a pleasure just to hear them conversing. Any news, Mr. Jones? Uh, not yet, Miss Moffat. Where's the flyer? To the railway, but with the rest of them. You do not appear nervous. I'm past being nervous, Ron. If he has won, I shan't believe it, Lucky. And, and if he has lost? If he has lost, we must proceed if nothing has happened. Meantime, Mr. Jones, your report is on your desk. It's on very form two waiting for you. Yes, Mr. Morgan. I knew they'd be watching for me, so I, I got off at some office. Does that mean? I have no news, one way or another, except I'm no longer hopeful. Oh, why not? Well, they talk to me for hours. Oral examinations. They jumped down hard on the New Testament, as you said. That you, you are very pale. Better than a raging fever. Go on. Well, uh, I spent ten minutes explaining why St. Paul sailed from a town 300 miles inland. Oh, dear. And the French? Not good. I said, not really more to everything, but it did not fit every time. <laughs> Did the president send for you? He did. He asked if I had ever had strong drink, and I looked him straight in the eye and said, No. <laughs> I was terribly nervous. My collar flew open. He, he didn't seem impressed with me at all. And then as I was leaving, he appeared to be sorry for me in some way, and I, well, I received the impression that I failed. When shall we know? Today. Tomorrow, the next day, they'll send you the work. Failed. What? I cannot even talk about. But we must talk about it. You faced the idea of failure the day you left for Oxford. <laughs> but no, I've been to Oxford and come back. Come back from the world. Since the day, the day I was born, I've been a prisoner behind a stone wall. And now somebody has given me a leg up to have a look at the other side. They cannot drag me back again. They cannot. They must give me a point and send me over. I've never heard you talk so much since I've known you. Let's just see. I can talk now. The three days I've been there, I've been talking my head off. My second night there, I, I took a walk. There was a moon up. Not the same moon I've seen here. There are different states altogether. All of a sudden, with one big rush against that moon, I saw this place again. You and I were sitting here studying and all those books and everything I've ever learned from those books and from you was lighted up like, like a magic lantern, Rome, Greece, Shakespeare, Carlyle, Milton, everything. Everything had a meaning. 
because I was in a new world. And so it, it came to me while you worked like a slave to make me ready for this scholarship. But... I have finished. I didn't want you to stop. I have not been drinking, Miss Marcus. I know. I can talk to you too now. Yes, I'm glad. This raising a definite strain, telling the lad they'll send the results through the post. Where is he? Still eating? And Miss Moffat says, please, no questions till he's through. Oh, whenever that will be, the young man will stop. Thank you. Just the fact he had. How'd you do? Blooming. What, uh, what, what to do? Yes, <laughs> Three days ago, she yes, said money to you. Uh, did you not receive the letter? Yes, I did. And all the others till I was sick of it. What is all this? I'm here to congratulate a certain young gent in case he won oh. that scholarship. No, no, no. What has that got to do with you? You think it's wrong, Don't say. Please, don't say. Four weeks ago yesterday, I had a baby. You had a what? <laughs> Seven pounds, nine ounces. Good heavens, how ghastly. <laughs> but I just come for the... Kingston. Hello, Mum. My, you do look a golly mop. And where have you been all these months? And doing what, I'd like to know? Turning you into a granny. A granny? <laughs> well, thank you. Come in, Miss Moffat. Close the door, Morgan, and have a good sleep. Later we can... Hello, Miss Moffat. I've just been telling him you know what. Now I think it's time you told us who the fellow is. Proceedings, that's what I will take proceedings. That's my business. Who is it? Listen to me, Betty. I'll tell you anything. Anything. It's no good, Miss Moffat. It's Morgan Evans. Oh, I don't believe it. Oh, man. I've been dreading this for months. In a way, it's a relief. Well, there isn't. I got a four-week show dirty, and I haven't got a husband to keep him. I'll call him. There's no need to call him. I am willing to marry her, bestowing on the infant every advantage by bringing it up as a Baptist. You'd like that, Miss Moffat, wouldn't you? Oh, I'd like to oblige, really, but I couldn't. Besides, my friends would be furious. Not friends. Ever such a nice gentleman, Mom, quite as well. I have never heard such a conversation outside a police car. <laughs> I suppose you wouldn't care to marry me. Good question. <laughs> Doesn't this friend of yours want to marry you? Don't talk of anything else. And he won't have the baby. So I've decided to give up my friend, Mary Morgan Evans. Unless Mr. Jones would consider the baby without me. Just think. Is it you? Your own child? What about your mother, Lois? I haven't got any, didn't you know? What's the thing to say? I cannot remain here another minute. You want to make Morgan Evans marry you on the chance he will become fond enough of the child to ensure a future. Then your conscience will be clear, and later you can go off on your own. I shouldn't be surprised, sure. Meanwhile, it's worthwhile to ruin a boy on the threshold of... Oh, there must be a way out. There must be. And bless his mother, I've got this. What? Why can't you adopt it? This is what he don't be with Would that be you, Bessie? Would it? Yes. Yes, it would. 
What would I do with a baby? I don't even know what they look like. Oh, they're lovely little things. Now it's all over. Oh, stop it. This is what he sent Oh, do please. It put everything to right. He might grow up like his father, you know, and turn out quite nice. But it's mad. You're the grandmother, Walter, surely. Oh, I couldn't. Now, I don't bet it no ill will, but every penny I get goes to a court. You're the one, Sia. Really, you are. Bessie Rossi, you mean that if I do not adopt this child... I will have to tell Morgan Evans that he will ask to marry me. I swear that. And if I do, then I swear he'll never know a thing about it. Then I give in. Oh, that's lovely. My friend will be pleased. Well, I'll come along then and we'll arrange the trials later, shall we? I only did it to spite you, you know. Well, that's quick. For which we must be very truly thankful. For which... And Morgan? Has she gone? Why? The squire just told me. Oh, He thought I knew. Then he said it was for the best that I ought to be told. Why? Why should this happen? There is no need for you to upset yourself. Miss Moffat is going to take care of me. What? I am going to adopt it. And what do you take me for? Then what would you like to do? What would I like to do? It's not a question of what I would like to do. It's what I'm going to do. I'm going to marry her and that's fine. I knew this would happen. Answer it, Walter. No. No, I'll go. It may be the squire and I don't want him here. Oh, thank you. It's a telegram. From Oxford. You have won the scholarship, Morgan. Come along with me, Mr. Jones, and I'll make you a lovely cup of tea. Oh, what's the use in women? Morgan. Now look at him. If ever anybody has stood at the crossroads, you are now. It's no use, Miss Moffat. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to speak to you very simply, Morgan. I want you to change suddenly from a boy to a man. Now, I understand this is a great shock to you, but I want you to throw off this passionate obstinacy to do the right thing. Did you ever promise her marriage? No, no, no. Did you ever tell her that you loved her? No, no, but it makes no difference. There is a child living and breathing on this earth because of me, and I cannot turn from that part. But don't you know that she has her own plans and she doesn't want the child? If you marry her, you know what will happen, don't you? You will go back to the mine. In a year, she will have left you both. You will be drinking again, and this time you will not stop. That does not alter the fact that I have a duty to them both. Yes, you have a duty. But it's not to this... this little lady. You mean a duty to you? No. A year ago, I might have said a duty to me. But that night you showed your teeth, you gave me a lot to think about. You caught me unaware, and I gave you the worst possible answer back. I turned sorry for myself and taunted you with ingratitude. Yes, I was a fool not to realize that a debt of gratitude is the most humiliating debt of all. That a little show of affection would have wiped it out. Morgan, I offer you that affection today. Why? Why are you saying this to me, though? Because as the moments are passing, and I am going to get my way, I know that I'm never going to see you again. Never again? But why? If you're not to marry her, it would be madness for you to come in contact with the child. So if I'm adopting the child, you can never come to see me. Common sense, Morgan. 
You've been given the push over the wall you asked for. But you, you will be staying here. Oh, can I never come back after everything you've done for me? Every morning when I take my walk up there where the valley suddenly drops here, you know the place? Yes. I have found myself thinking of you working for this scholarship and winning it. And I have experienced a feeling of, of complete happiness. I shall experience it again. You have no duty to me, Morgan. Your only duty is to the world. The world? Now that you're going, there's no harm in telling me something. I don't think you realize what your future can become if you give it a chance. You, you could become a great man of our country. If a light come into the mine, you said, remember? Yes. Make that light come into the mine and someday free these children. And Morgan, you could be more, much more. You could be a man for a future nation to be proud of. Perhaps I'm mad. I don't know. It's up to you. Uh. I do not know what, what to say. I have been so much time in this room. The lessons are over, Morgan. Uh, I shall always remember. Well, I'm glad you think you will. Please, Miss Moffat. Yes, Miss The band is out and Mr. Morgan got to come to town hall. No, no, no. This man, please, never forget you. Goodbye, Morgan. I... I am so... I cannot talk. Equator 
of initiating the first primers, introducing them to King Neptune, the royal chaplain, the surgeon, the barber, and the royal baby. It's an enduring custom that dates back into antiquity, where men in all seriousness paid homage to the sea gods. These things are part of our culture, and they have their equivalents among the customs and traditions of other people. A way of doing things may be different, but the ideals are the same. And our servicemen are helping to maintain goodwill between us and the people of other countries by observing these customs, by learning about them, and by honoring them. Now, here's Mr. Carrie Wilson with our star. And we welcome them back to the footlights, Claudette Colbert and Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> I really am impressed. 24 appearances on the radio theater. Did you repeat some of your pictures several times? No. The only picture we ever repeated was Family Honeymoon. I did that twice. Well, I'm not only impressed, Terry, I'm completely discouraged. Imagine starring in all those pictures. But your career is zooming ahead, Cam. Let me tell you about next week's play. It's the light-hearted romantic adventure of a glamorous young model who finds her entire life rearranged by a chance encounter with a marriage broker. Yes, it's that hilarious hit from 20th Century Fox, The Model and the Marriage Broker. Whatever business you're in, growth isn't just about getting bigger. At ADP, we believe it's about getting stronger by turning data into insights so you can build teams that work as teams. By using our AI technology to help catch payroll errors before their errors. And by keeping ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. ADP helps businesses like yours grow stronger every day. ADP, HR talent, time, and payroll.